Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you are a member of staff in a primary education setting, then this is the podcast for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting in various levels, and we will be finding out what inspires them. We'll also be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. And of course, we'll share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. After experiencing years of incredible conversations on Edu Twitter, I am excited to create these podcasts to develop the primary conversation further on a new platform and to get to, get to know more of the wonderful voices in primary education. This week, we sit down and have a talk with Dr. Victoria Carr. Uh, Dr. Carr is a fantastic uh, individual on Twitter. She was actually recommended by a couple of individuals um, before we began, uh, or before I began this uh, podcasting journey, and I was excited to sit down with her. If you have a look at her Twitter profile, there is some wonderful things that she's sharing. She's also spoken at TEDx, and there are some fantastic um, stories and experiences that she shares. Uh, she has a wonderful primary three, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. And she has a fantastic journey to share with us about how she came to be in the world of primary education and what she has experienced along the way as well. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. And so without further ado, let's dive in and hear the teacher voice of Dr. Victoria Carr. Okay, I think we're recording now. Welcome to the Primary Education Voices podcast, Dr. Victoria Carr. Thanks for joining us today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me to join you. Oh, it's 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 fantastic. Thank you for joining us because I'm so excited to have this good discussion with you today about all things primary. Um, you know, that I've been looking around and looking at some of the things you've done and been really amazed. And so I just look forward to hearing some of the great ideas and great things that you have to share with us. Um, I'm going to start with our usual uh, quick fire questions. Uh, and so if you can try and answer these in, in as little amount of words as possible, then that'd be fantastic. We want to try and get a good background and context of you. Is that OK? That's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm never very good at being um, concise. So bear with me. <laughs> this will be great then. This will be a good challenge. OK, so first of all, what's your Twitter handle so people can know where to follow you? It's recently changed. Uh, it is at happyhead74. Fantastic. OK, thank you. How many years have you been in primary education? uh i've been in education for 25 years amazing fantastic thank you now what has been your primary journey so far and so what what kind of roles have you taken through those years okay so um I, i've worked in some middle schools so some of the so my first job was uh a year five uh class teacher i taught maths english and science to them whilst i also taught key stage three pe and that was in newcastle upon time then I moved to Kenya and I basically set up a school um, for the children of expatriates. So I taught children from two to 11. Then I came back to the UK to Northumberland and I taught a year six class, uh, again, maths, English and science. I then taught English to year seven and eight. Um, and I became an advanced skills teacher in English at that time as well. And then I moved to Germany and I taught English as well part-time I had some children and I taught part-time English and I had a year seven a year eight class then I was a form teacher and then I moved back to England to the Wirral and I was a deputy head non-class based deputy head and the Senco and um, then I moved to my previous school which was as a head teacher and 
now I'm at my current school. So along that journey, I've done other things. I've done lots of qualifications and taught adults and taught on the master's programs and stuff like that. But in terms of primary teaching or teaching children, that's been the journey thus far. Amazing. What a journey that is. And it's like <laughs> it's global. That's fantastic. If we get some time, we'll have to have a little chat about that. That's brilliant. Um, favorite subject and why? Oh, my days. My favorite subject. Uh, ah, um, I think art. Hmm. Although I'm very sporty and I love reading, I think art because absolutely everybody can do art and it's up to the person looking at it as to whether it's good art or not so it's irrelevant really what you produce um because it's about you enjoying what you make and then anybody can um just take on board whether they like it or not for themselves that's brilliant i love that positive aspect on art i can tell you right now growing up in secondary school art eluded me <laughs> it was one of those that i really struggled with so it's so pleasing to hear when you have that aspect of you know whatever the art is for you you know it, it's your art and that's that's yeah, you only have to go to an art gallery and see the range and um you know whether it's sculpture or modern or postmodern or renaissance you have to go there and think there's something for everyone and i think that's that's what art does it's a leveler because everybody can enjoy it but it's what about it that they enjoy that is so different um, from one person to the next that's brilliant um favorite teacher and why and I'll, and this is kind of open it can be someone you've worked with or it could have a, t a teacher that you had yourself I, I was when i wrote the question i thought a teacher that you have had yourself but it however open you want it well i've you, you know um you probably don't know this but i did a tedx talk last year this time last year and in that tedx talk i talked about a teacher who basically changed my life so um she is definitely uh you know, a really important person in my life, that teacher. But in terms of people who've taught me, um, I, I feel like I'm taught by so many people who aren't necessarily qualified as teachers. So many people have taught me things. So it'd be difficult to kind of say one in particular, cool. I think. That's, that's great. I love that answer. Love that. And I think you're right. You know, it's not just about you having the qualification. You know, we learn so much from everyone. I love that. Thank you. Final quick fire question. You're doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep it short and yeah. sweet. It's so uh, hard for me. <laughs> you're amazing. Last one, and this is probably my favorite one that I've come up with. So you're ready for this. Okay. If, if you had to, or if you already do, what after school club would you run? Photography. Ooh, go ahead. Why is that? Um it's a thing that I absolutely love to do it's a it's a hobby of mine and um again if you're the kind of person uh, and I'd run it for staff as well I think if you're the kind of person who feels like they're not good at art practically so maybe I don't know maybe you think I'm not good at painting I'm not good at drawing photography is something that you use a tool for so and everyone's got a camera on their phone nowadays so you just take some photos on on your phone or with it with a nice camera and you can create something really impressive with it very, very simply and easily. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a really rewarding thing to do. And you can teach people how to sort of store memories and um, create memories from, from images and also create artwork. So I would definitely do photography. Amazing. Oh, that's a great answer. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Although I have been asked to do a boot camp for the next three weeks with all the staff at school. So that's a bit different. Not photography now. 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I love that though. It's such a good it's such a good idea. I think like you say, it's so accessible now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the technology is, is in the palm of many people's hands. And so it's and for me myself, not being a very good art person, in my view, um that'd be a lovely thing to do. So yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right, fantastic. Well, we'll move on to our kind of scheduled questions now. So you're a bit more prepared for these, I think. Um <laughs> So the first one, which which we will be uh, asking all of our people who who join us on the podcast, is this: uh, What inspired you to become involved in primary education? Okay, I kind of fell into this um, role in many ways. I mean, I can't tell you that I, you know, I had this ambition from when I was two years old to be a teacher, and I was teaching all my dollies to say the register, etc. <laughs> because I, I really wasn't. First, I didn't have any dollies, and secondly. Um, that, that was never the case for me. I did love school. Again, I, I spoke about that in my TEDx talk, so I won't bore anybody uh, by, by laboring that point. I loved school because I liked the security of it. I felt safe. I knew uh, how to succeed and how to be uh, successful. And, um, you know, that, that was a springboard really for me, kind of making my decisions about what I would do at university. However, again, which I've said already before, um, I got to the point when I was 18 of not knowing what I wanted to do. So part of me, you know, majority of me wanted to join the RAF. I wanted to fly Chinook helicopters. And then the other part of me wanted to be a conformist and do what my secondary school, which is a really high achieving girls grammar school, kind of expected of me. And uh, I kind of wrestled with this for a little while. And in the end, I kind of took my first ever maverick choice. There have been several since, but I kind of thought, what am I going to do? And I applied for both university and CREF. And the first one that came back was the one I chose. So off I went to university in the Lake District to what is now um, no longer in existence, actually. But it was a teacher training college called Charlotte Mason. And um, it was part of Lancaster University. So my main studies were done at Lancaster and also, you know, uh, through Charlotte Mason College. And I spent a year learning English and geography and hated it. Um, You know, I loved the topics, but I just didn't like having to dissect every book I read and look at it through various lenses. So although I thought it'd be the easiest degree ever as an avid reader, it actually was very painful. So I stopped. I changed after a year. Uh, and I moved on to an environmental science course, which I absolutely loved. So I qualified in environmental science and did outdoor education as a sideline. So I kind of fell into teaching. And through that uh, whole process, really, I I kind of grew to love it. And I grew to love working with children um, because I'm, I wasn't the most maternal at all. Uh, I am a mum myself now. My children have survived the fact that I'm, I wasn't a natural mum. Uh, I wasn't an earth mother type or anything. I kind of, you know, skidded into parenthood and kind of, I'm always skidding out to the other end of it, really. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really have much desire to do it beforehand. But what I found was that I really did enjoy it. And kind of lots of things that happened to me growing up are, have then become the kind of drive really for me trying to do the best job I can do and particularly in deprived areas which again is something that I've been drawn to over the years so like most things in my life it hasn't been a burning ambition it's just been something that's kind of come upon me that I've kind of thought yeah I'm gonna go for it and and it's worked so (laughs) 
Wow, that's amazing. I, I love <laughs> the fact that we have so many you know, teachers in education who, some, like you say, were the were the classic example where they, they, were, they were younger, they had the clipboard and they had the teddy sat around, they're doing the register and they knew they're going to be a teacher. But then there are other teachers who are incredible as well, who, who didn't know and didn't really have that view. And I just love the idea that, you know, you had this moment at age 18 where literally if that letter from the RAF could have come earlier, it could be a completely different journey. I'd be a helicopter pilot. Do <laughs> <laughs> you feel happy with that choice now? <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I don't regret anything in my yeah. life. Um, you know, I've always loved helicopters. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've got a military connection now. I'm an army reservist. And, um, you know, we were on the ranges last year down at a place called Bulford. And it was a glorious day. It was sunny, but also had these most amazing clouds. And again, as somebody's interested in photography, I do love clouds in sky. They just lend so much depth. And so we were there on these ranges and um, I was being coached by this epic guy called Dan Mills, who has also written a book about his experiences, um, you know, and he was teaching me how to be a better shot and, and I was really doing well. And I turned around having heard the sound of a helicopter in the distance and there's this blinking fabulous Chinook coming across the sky. You know, it was it was literally like a movie scene, clouds, blue sky, there's this helicopter and me thinking for a nanosecond, oh, I wonder if. Yeah. But I guess but it's okay to think it is a nanosecond. And honestly, the journey of my life has been so amazing because I chose teaching. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been, but I couldn't I couldn't be happier really I've had a lovely life so yeah yeah Yeah, and that's it you know having those what if moments is not a problem you know we all think at times you know what if this and what if that what if I had you know done this or asked that person out or that kind of thing Um, and you know I think it's uh, that's fantastic let's move on to the next question so the next question is um, what is the funniest story from being in primary education that you've experienced Um, This is actually not very child-based, and this is probably just for pure entertainment to to anybody who's taken the time to listen to this. But um, I actually said this out loud, so this is why it became my story for today. Uh, So I, um, whilst most people think that I'm super confident and, you know, I'm often told that I'm inspirational and all this lovely stuff, which is nice, uh, it's not necessarily how I feel about most things and particularly not about myself and so a couple of people obviously over time who who really love me have become quite um, cross with me about my low self-image or my poor self-image in the past it's something I've worked on Mm. um, and and I I still have to to work on it but um, so (laughs) I won't say who but somebody entered me into a competition um, and unbeknown to me and so one night we were sat it was in January and I had just had some you know quite challenging information presented to me in my new headship the headship I'm in now the school had been in a very tricky place and um we were busy you know my my seven strong senior leadership team and I were busy at a kind of in an ops room style environment and my mobile phone rang and I don't usually answer my phone Uh, again that's people will tell you that um, I'm rubbish so I saw a number I didn't recognize but I was expecting a couple of calls from various different people HR etc about this particular issue so I answered the phone it's about five o'clock answered the phone and I said hello and this person said Um, said her name so she said hi I'm such a buddy and I'm from such and such um, it's about the burlesque photography shoot 
So I literally said out loud, burlesque. <laughs> and everybody in my room, all my senior leadership team, because they were like owls, their heads swiveled instantaneously. <laughs> And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I think you've got the wrong number. She said, no, no, it's definitely you. And then she named the people who had put me in for the competition. And in the meantime, a couple of my senior leaders had their mobile phones out and had Googled some very famous um, burlesque um, dancers or whatever. And were kind of pointing at them going, this is going to be you. <laughs> I was absolutely scandalized. At this <laughs> and there was all kinds of laughter and hysterics going on. And this lady says, um, oh, it sounds like you're having good fun there. Uh, you know, everyone's laughing in the background. I said, yeah, that's because never... Was there a stranger conversation to happen in a head teacher's office than this conversation that's happening right now? So she said, Oh, oh gosh, you're a head teacher. I said, Uh huh. And I'm in my office, and all those people laughing on my senior leadership team because I've just said this huge exclamation of burlesque. And she said, Bring them all along. (laughs) (laughs) Great, more the merrier. Needless to say, that didn't happen. But um, so yeah, that's my funniest story, really, because I'm actually quite a boring person. But um, but that's definitely the funniest story. I won't tell you what happened after that, and I won't tell you about anything to do with that photography shoot. But it definitely happened in the head teacher's office that conversation, and I definitely said burlesque really loudly and, and like literally entertained my senior leaders like there's no tomorrow. Needless to say, I've stopped answering phone numbers that I don't recognise. <laughs> amazing yeah we don't need to go into the details and that's a, that's a for another podcast <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I haven't given you a better story though i mean i feel guilty but oh. i do i don't actually have anything that's that's there. incredible that is absolutely amazing and i think you know as we go through these uh, this podcast series i, I i'm interested to see because one of the th- things i love about primary education is the laughs i mean we, we have some great times with the kids but actually a lot of the funniest moments I can think of my, for myself are with staff members and just yeah. the, the just the hilarity and the things that happen uh, in schools that we have to deal with and random <laughs> calls like that in the middle of SLT meetings. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Entertain them anyway. And they've never forgotten. Even nope. now we have banter about it two yeah. years on. So. Exactly. <laughs> you don't those things. Okay. Um, by the way, if, if anyone is listening, uh, well, hopefully there's some people listening, uh, <laughs> and you heard some what the sound like elephants in the distance. That was my class coming back to class. I don't know if you heard. Um, I the, didn't actually. Oh, no, no, I didn't. Very, hear. very good. We're doing all right then. <laughs> uh, I managed to find myself a quiet room, but it is still fairly close, so we'll, we'll keep going with that. Right, Vic. Uh, the next question then is about your primary three. So I asked you kind of before the um, the interview to kind of think about three things now. They could have been uh, just philosophies you have, uh, resources you have, top tips you have. I've left it really open so that anyone who who comes onto this podcast can just share three things that they're really passionate about. And so, um, would you like to? Uh, could you share the first one of them with us? Uh, I believe, if I uh, have my notes here with me, ready to go. Uh, that was all about uh, losing the ego and doing all things with love. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So. Again, you know, I've said a a couple of these things before. Um, So I I kind of try to approach all situations um, from from a loving and compassionate perspective. You see a lot of kind of quite twee um, 
motivational posts about you don't know where someone's coming from and be kind and and so on and I think and I think they're only tweet because some people just don't buy into them whereas I actually do mm. I think each of us has a story we've, we've all got a backstory we've all got homes that we go back to um, families that make place demands on us um, our own kind of insecurities and histories that we kind of try to manage, manage and mitigate for so I think if somebody's um, coming at you with kind of something unpleasant or a difficult scenario i always try to look at what's the underlying and the root cause for that really um and people often make mistakes when they're angry or hurt or upset but but largely it's to do with fear or anxiety or or, or passion and i think most people in primary schools they feel those those feelings because they're anxious about children and they only want the best thing for children so if parents are difficult with me or if I've got staff members who are challenging me or challenging in any way throughout my leadership um, journey really this school or any other school it's usually because um, they're worried about something they're frightened about something or they're passionate about something because it, it, they're, they're, they're you know anxious about someone that they love and it's often children so I think if you look at someone's situation with compassion and you remove your ego and make it so it's not about you um, it's not about you being brilliant or being in control or being in charge. If you just take all of that away and think this is a situation that needs to be resolved, how can I best do it? It needs to be about children and about um, everyone learning from whatever situation you're in. Then it's really easy to, to um, rectify situations that have gone wrong or mistakes you might have made or issues that someone else might have brought to you that they've made. And I think... Um, Part of that is accepting that you need to have a growth mindset. So I'm never the finished product. I've made a handful of mistakes. You know, I I try not to. I try and learn from them. And I try and have a team around me who challenge me before I make them. But inevitably, in a long career, you've made mistakes along the way. And I think learning from those and growing from them is vital. And it's something that we can teach children to do and also our colleagues because you're never too young to develop that mindset. And I think demonstrating to young people that it's you know if you make a mistake it's all right um and how you make reparations from that mistake and and how you grow from them and and teaching them explicitly how that looks and how it feels and you know i i take i'm not ashamed to kind of say if it feels like this it's it's really painful when you realize you've hurt someone and you know you feel anxious and you feel like you can't sleep and you might feel sick and you, you kind of describe and articulate what's going on in you, what your visceral response is to making a mistake and how you feel embarrassed or humiliated, but you have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and then try and make it better. Um, it served me well with my own children and it served me well as a philosophy generally in my life um, because it's not about me really. It's about me getting the best for and about everyone else making sure that we all work together for the best for everyone you know who who were kind of supporting so losing your ego and try and do all things with love and from a loving and compassionate perspective is is massively important for me and and it also then breeds that culture in your school which means that it's okay for other people to try things and go out of their comfort zone because they're not afraid of making a mistake so we have lots of innovation at school from people who know that it's it's okay to try something that might be out of their comfort zone because if if it if it doesn't go quite as they planned it's all right we just look at it and think how could we do it better is it something that we want to do is it something that with being you know with refinement it could be better done um and no one really 
feels bad about that because like we say to children if you're making mistakes and you're learning aren't you um so yeah so that's kind of where that comes from and being a lifelong learner is part of that i mean i've just started my third ma i've got a doctor already um you know i'm starting something completely new and i'm okay about making mistakes or not quite getting it right because i've got the mindset i've developed over many many years and it's about just you know doing your best and and working hard really that's fantastic i think you know obviously the whole focus of this podcast is about primary education i think what you mentioned earlier on was really spot on that we have a we have a responsibility we have you know this great opportunity to to support young children taking those very often first steps out of the home situation into a place where you know they they have to learn and they have to learn to kind of get on with other children they don't know and you know all these things that happen is is momentous during that primary stage that these children learn and so like you say i think that sometimes we can lose sight of you know if we have a parent that's upset about something we just think oh you know another parent's complaining but it's it's all coming from the fact that they love their kid Mm -hmm. and they just want the very best for them that's that's possible and then they need to recognize as well that we want that same you know we we want the very best for every single child that that walks through those front doors of our schools Uh, and so yeah i I couldn't agree more you know i think that that is such a wonderful philosophy and ethos to have and i I can tell that really comes through in your leadership as well yeah it does and i think it's important for me in my role it's not just about children it's my job to nurture and support adults who work with children and adults whose children i'm caring for so it's kind of like a, a a kind of mutually supportive relationship that we have between the carers and the parents, the school staff and the children. And everybody needs to see that consistent approach. So, you know, if children are, um, you know, fledging into school and learning new experiences and and parents are anxious and staff, you know, staff have got to learn to deal with that. And that all comes from being modelled by me. So I don't shout at people in school. So no one else shouts. Um, You know, I'm not aggressive. So no one else is aggressive. And it's kind of, it really does come that culture from what from what the leadership of the school kind of instills in everybody really so it's not for me it's not just about the children I know as a class teacher when I was a class teacher it was all about the children um because that was my remit and as a leader of the school your remit just gets wider yes it's about the children but then it's your absolute moral obligation to look after the people who are daily looking after the children because you can't you know with the best will in the world I couldn't look after 600 children every day so therefore I have to you know task my lovely staff to do that and therefore i have to look after them in the same way that i would look after the children as well yeah that's fantastic yeah i think i couldn't agree more that 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 whatever role we have in school we we have that that obligation and it's about understanding that we you know we are doing those things with love whether we work with a class of children whether we work with a a group of adults you know whatever our position is and i, and I think this is this is one of the things i want to do with this podcast is not just to hear about head teachers or teachers views but also teaching assistants and support staff mm-hmm. and just the whole great um spectrum of, of, of support we have in schools they all they all play a really key role let's go on to, to on to your next uh, of the primary three so collaboration or uh, and then you put a dash and put always and so i'd love to kind of hear like the <laughs> thinking behind that what, what do you mean by that so that for me kind of sums up an awful lot of things really um so 
you know, for example, we had Ofsted just before the half term, so a couple of weeks ago, and I explained to the Ofsted inspectors that there wouldn't be meeting individual people because in our school, everything's done as a team. Um, I'm a big team player. You know, I look at myself in the first instance of anything it goes wrong and, and I always examine myself and what I could have done differently, what I could have brought to the table, but also what my weaknesses are and what my strengths are. And because I've done that over many years now, I don't even have to do that. I know exactly what my weaknesses are and I know how to mitigate for them. And part of that is building a fantastic team around me. And, you know, when you look at my team now, there are eight of us in the senior leadership team. We've got a learning sport mentor, the Senko some senior leaders, the deputy head um, and the school admin office officer. And we all bring completely different perspectives, completely different mindsets, completely different ways of working to the table. And when we hash out um, issues like, you know, in January, the day before we were meant to come back to school, we'd already had a session all together about us having to close school because so many of our staff had come back with the um, Article 44 letters Mm. that we knew we needed to make the decision. And so we hashed it out how we could make it. And we looked at everything from school meals to um, HR, to furlough, to informing parents, to what we would do with vulnerable children. And that's because all of us came at that problem from a completely different perspective with completely different views and and drivers. And my role in that is to, yes, offer an opinion, but also then collate all of their um, all of their views and ideas into one kind of mission statement that this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to... Um, execute this this kind of this idea and then you know liaise with the governors and and keep everybody working together so there's so much collaboration that goes on if you're a school leader so i collaborate inside my school with all um layers of um staff you know if i'm if i'm working on the building i'm I'm working with the site maintenance officers the cleaners and the admin team if i'm working on school meals i'm working with the kitchen staff i'm working with the middays i'm working with the admin team so it's, it's there are so many different kind of circles of people that you're a part of, but it all boils down to relationships and collaboration. And then outside of my school, I do some work with the NHT press um, team. And, you know, that, that involves kind of talking about things that are affecting. Hi, listeners. Sorry about uh, the interruption. We, we lost connection briefly, uh, myself and Vic, but we're back uh, and we're still on the same devices and everything should still be all good. So, Vic, you were talking about collaboration and I believe you were about to start talking about Twitter. Would you like to go ahead and talk, tell us a bit about the importance of that? Yeah, sure. So um, what I was just about to say before I moved on to Twitter probably is um, that collaboration and working as part of a team also involves a lot of trust Yes, it involves a lot of knowing yourself and knowing your skill sets and knowing what other people bring to that uh, to complement and mitigate for your um, strengths and weaknesses. But it also involves trusting people. So if you're in a team and each person has their um, their tasks to do, it's about, um, you know, explain to them what you need at the end, but not explain to them how they're going to get there and trusting them to get that job done. Yes, checking in on them to make sure they've got skills and resources, but actually trusting them. So collaboration isn't about... Um, pretending or any kind of false inauthentic um, distributed leadership it's about real distributed leadership where you trust people to do their job and you and you you know you, you coach them through it and you get them to the end result and you're not overly concerned about what the end result looks like because you've trusted them 
And I think um, what I would say as well about collaboration is that it doesn't just happen inside your setting, your school. Obviously, we all collaborate with our teams, various layers of teams in schools and various um, education professionals to do with your school, whether that's educational psychologists or the special needs team or whatever. But also there's a growing community of um, people on Twitter Mm. and on LinkedIn um, and I'm sure in other other areas, but for me, the main two I use are Twitter and LinkedIn, where you link in with people who um, challenge your thinking or complement your thinking. And, you know, it, it's definitely a growing network. And so I would say collaboration with people who you don't know is becoming more of a thing. I mean, after our Ofsted inspection, I shared with over 3,000 schools who asked me. I was shocked at how many people were wanting to know um the sort of questions we were asked and so on. I prepared a document with my senior team and we share, I shared it um, over the weekend after Ofsted. And I was shocked at how many people were keen to kind of have that mm. and, and who were very grateful for it. So collaborating with other people, even if you don't know them, where there's no specific gain for you, it's not for money, it's not for kudos, it's just simply to be a good person yeah. um, is kind of one of my philosophies, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Uh just by the way, you know, anyone, there you go, Ofsted, if you want to know what Ofsted are asking, you can uh, get in contact with Vic. She's uh, <laughs> got a nice document there. Uh, yeah, I think you're totally right. It is, and, I, and with this podcast, you know, it's, again, I, I don't want to do it for, for kudos or, or, and, or anything like that. I just want to have these discussions. And, you know, I've learned so much already from what we've talked about. And so I can only hope to, to learn so much more. Really, it's kind of a selfish thing, I'll be honest. Uh, but it's great to kind of improve, like increase that voice of primary educators uh, across Twitter and uh, and just share that 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 voice in primary education a lot more. So that's I completely agree. That's fantastic as well, Matthew. I think at a time like this where everyone's been so disconnected from everyone else physically and in many other ways. Um, that we would normally have so many connections and that connectivity is so important in, in school life because we are essentially a big organism just working together collaboratively evolving and it's, it's messy and kind of like a big family but if without any of that happening because of the sort of pandemic impact on things like lockdown we found other ways to connect with people and i think connecting through talk and connecting through um media such as twitter has really helped people not to feel as isolated as perhaps they might have done one of the things i've done since january um is reach out to people and and give them a call and again i said earlier i'm rubbish on the phone but it's forced me to actually pick up the phone and call people and say hi how are you doing i don't know you but like you know we've and i have had the most incredible conversations since january we joke about it it's called a vicar calls um, because my my name is Vic Carr. If you put it together quickly, it's Vicar. So a vicar calls has uh, just been the most amazing, heartwarming, and rewarding thing. So it's not selfishness when you talk about doing your podcast from a selfish perspective. It's actually rewarding for everybody to kind of connect in a different way yeah. and have these kind of conversations about professional practice as well as other things like burlesque dancing, <laughs> burlesque photography uh etc etc when i when i planned out these podcasts you know i did not think that in the the bingo card of uh, the educational (laughs) education voice podcast we get burlesque so well you're you're a novice at it but you very soon won't be a novice and it'll be conversations like this that'll help you uh to be prepared for the for the unexpected i think i'm prepared for that one now tell you what (laughs) 
Um, okay, so your last primary three is consistency, returning to your core values. Uh, I mean, from your, by the way, from your kind of answers and your discussion so far, that has really shone through just kind of how that consistency is key in all the things you said so far. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and why you think that's one of your top three things you would share about this, the things you're passionate about? Yeah, I think, again, as with the other two, it's a kind of catch-all word that describes so many different layers of what we do in schools, and most things are layered upon one another. So important to me running a school that has three classes in each year group is that uh, there is consistency across the year group, that every child who comes in, no matter their teacher, gets an equality of experience in the school. So it's not just like Mr. So-and-so is fab and Mrs. So-and-so is rubbish, but you have a better time if you're in that class. No one could say that about my school because there is absolute consistency. Again, Ofsted noticed it. Um, you know, both times I've been in in person and remotely, I notice it, the children notice it, and it's something that we strive towards uh, achieving. But I think that comes, again, from, from the leadership. So if you behave consistently and your expectations are very clear and not too convoluted and difficult to, to understand, it, it becomes second nature um, for everybody else to follow suit. So, uh, you know, no one shouts, uh, no one's horrid. Um, there are clear expectations about mutual respect and how, how that looks. And, you know, articulating your expectations helps. And then, you know, going over things and double checking. Yes, I trust people to do their own thing um, and give me the end result, but they know the standards that are to be expected. And that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Those are the sorts of things that happen. Um, and in fact, all three things, really, uh, I'm very lucky that I took a school over that was in a bad way. And therefore, all of those things that I've talked about as my top three are things that I've exemplified on a daily basis for two over two years now. And therefore everybody knows them it becomes ingrained in the way we work in our practice uh, you know other schools may not be the same way you know they, they may uh, they may have a very um kind of calm school environment uh, having been led and managed well for many years in which case they're already consistent over time but their collaboration may not be to the same degree or what have you so it, all schools are different aren't they and it's difficult to kind of uh, have a generic one-size-fits-all approach to this but I, I think throughout my leadership no matter which school I've been in I've done all three things and then people aren't second-guessing how you will behave and again I think that comes from a childhood of my father was a schizophrenic so there was no consistency one never knew how he would receive information or how he would behave it would change on a daily basis and um, I think for me having that calm and consistent environment both in my home and my personal life and in my school and professional lives is key. Um, and, and I think if, if we know that children thrive with routine and consistency, then definitely, um, you know, it, it's the same thing for adults. Um, so yeah, consistency. And, and I think for me, it's about children first, always placing the children at the heart of everything that we do and working with integrity and, and everything that we do is ethical in school. And, and, you know, I'm sure if you were to ask any of the staff who I work with, that they would say that, that really that's, that's what all of our um, practice is founded on. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I think that the thoughts you put forward are so important. And I, I think it's ultimately, it's impossible really to pick a, a three, which 
to be just three that we are passionate about. I'm sure you could have gone on with other things you're passionate about with your leadership and, and the things that you value in primary education. But I think those three that you've picked out really work and, and are intertwined together. And I think that, as you say, you know, over a number of years, and it will take time, you know, those things being implemented will have a huge impact. And that's fantastic. Um, I will mention at this point that you did mention that um, that you, you've spoken for TEDx. I did know that. I have. I had a quick look at your Twitter. Your Twitter, and it's there. Uh, and so, if anyone's you know kind of interested in, a bit more in in, in Vic's story, you know, go watch that video because it is, it is inspirational. It really is. <laughs> and I, I, I know before you mentioned, you, know, you mentioned, oh, you know, people call me that, and it's like, well, it's true. You know, it's it's, it's fantastic uh, things you shared there. Um, I've got two final questions for you as we uh, as okay. we. <laughs> The first one is, what primary colleague or primary education inspiration would you recommend for a future interview? Oh, my life. There are so many, so many. This is hard. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, it's so hard. Uh, I would say somebody like, there's a lady called Kirsty Stubbs. Yeah. Or um, she's, a, she's a serving head teacher at the moment. There's a guy called Matt Jessup, also great. Chris Parkhouse, wonderful. Um, there are some people I can't say because they operate under anonymous accounts for their own self-protection. Of course. Um, but, you know, there's an ex-head teacher called Phil Sharrock who um, is very passionate about education, primary education. But then I, I would also recommend broadening the, broadening the scope, really. You know, there are some great... Um, People who work in SEMH settings and um, some great teaching assistants who follow me, and um, I've got some cracking teachers. People, I mean, you know, I mean Simon Smith, who's on Twitter, who's just the most fabulous um, guy in, involved in reading. Just a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so there's just any number of people yeah. that you could pick from, it, it, depending on what you want. And also, there's somebody that I follow who is is a foster carer, mm. and I think seeing things from a different perspective mm. and hearing things from a different perspective, um, it is so important that we don't just hear this echo chamber of people's views and ideas. That we we hear other people's lived experiences as well That's can great. really help shape your own practice. That's great. I asked you for one, and I, I'm, I'm I'm okay with six. <laughs> Sorry, I did say it. I'm not very good That's at being okay. nice. I, I, I it's such a hard question, and you know when I so I, you know, as you know, a week or two ago, I kind of posted a couple of um, tweets just saying, you know, any starting this podcast up, anyone anyone, anyone would love to hear from. Obviously, you were mentioned, which is why you're here. Um, <laughs> but actually, you know, no one was able to just say one name. Uh, and so I completely understand. And obviously, I know that, you know, people will, you know, anyone listening as well, if you're ever on this podcast and, you, and you're asked this question, don't worry. You know, I know that if you give me just one, there is probably another 20 you could easily give yeah, as well. Easily. That's absolutely fine. Thank, that's brilliant. Thank you. My final question, just to round this off then, is what is the best thing about being in primary education? Um, for me, it's about the influence and the reach that you can have and the impact that you can have on lives and not just the children's lives, but on the adults who you work with as well. And I think in influencing and having a positive impact on children, you can also therefore have an impact on their family. And that is a kind of legacy that is, uh, apart from the medical profession, is almost impossible to, to recreate in any other field mm. because the seeds that you plant now 
um, may not kind of reach any kind of fruition for quite some time, but nevertheless, they'll be there. I still get messages now from people I taught 20, 21 years ago. Um, and it t- tells you how consistent I am because they'll still say the same thing now. I miss you. You've never changed. You're still saying the same stuff now that you said 20 years ago, which is true. Um, Consistency. <laughs> I know. I think just having that influence on someone and encouraging them and you know it can go both ways I know that um and if there may be there may well be people listening who weren't that lucky but certainly I think we've got a a duty of care now and a moral obligation to make sure that what we do and say is positive and um does have a positive impact on other people and that we give them the tools to help them to reach that um you know positive goal Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Dr. Victoria Carr. It has been fantastic. Um, If you're interested in following uh, Vic, then you can follow her at happyhead74, as she said at the start. And once again, thank you so much for your valuable time. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. No problem. See you later. And there you have it, another fantastic conversation with another wonderful primary colleague, Dr. Victoria Carr. Um, just within five minutes of sitting down with Vic, it was it was obvious to see that she is a wonderful head teacher, uh, someone that really is dedicated to the well-being and the, the happiness of the staff, the children, the parents, everyone that's associated with her school. Uh, and so as soon as that conversation began, began, I couldn't wait to begin recording our episode with uh, Vic because I just knew that we were in for a treat there. Uh, her primary three were so well intertwined, um, but also just showed another element of the leadership that uh, that Vic uh, really values uh, in her school. Losing the ego and doing things with love, um, doing it with collaboration, always with every individual within the school and as many people externally as possible who can add value to that. And also the consistency with which um, you do those things and return to your core values with having the children first and doing it with integrity and with ethical behaviour. It was just a great discussion. Um, and I was amazed with the journey that, uh, that Vic has been on as well uh, with the way that um, she worked with the RAF, worked, went into environmental science and then kind of went into teaching. And it was just a great way to kind of see again how the journeys of, of these primary colleagues that we have are not the same. There are, there are many different ways that people find their way into this profession, but once they do, they, they know and they feel that it's right. Uh, and it's just wonderful uh, to, to have been able to share that experience. And of course, it was lovely to have heard uh, some of the great um, other uh, Twitter professionals that she uh, thought we could uh, t- chat to in later podcast episodes as well. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. I certainly did. It was wonderful to meet uh, Vic and uh, it was wonderful because afterwards uh, we had some conversations through Twitter and she was sharing all these other people that I could uh, connect with. And it was just clear to see the enthusiasm that she has for building these collaborations, which was brilliant. All that is left for me to say is that if there is a primary colleague on the Twitter sphere that you would love to hear more from, you can either contact me on Twitter through at Prime Edu Voices, which is P-R-I-M-E-D-U Voices. Or me personally at Matt, sorry, at M Roberts 90, Matt. There's a lot of Matt Robertses out there. That's why I've had to kind of uh, con- conduct my own uh, Twitter handle there. And let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA or support staff you would love to hear featured on a future episode. And if you'd like to join the conversation yourself, then get in contact. I'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to the podcast so you get each episode as the drop on a Monday morning at 6am for your Monday morning commute and share it with fellow primary practitioners. 
even better if you could leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you are subscribed to. That would really help get the word out and raise the primary education voice. Thank you for joining me to hear another primary education voice. And we'll see you again next time when we meet another inspirational educator.